Data Masters is the go-to place for data enthusiasts. We speak with data leaders from around the world about data, analytics, and the emerging technologies and techniques data-savvy organizations are tapping into to gain a competitive advantage. Our experts also share their opinions and perspectives about the height and overhyped industry trends we may all be geeking out over. Join the Data Masters podcast with your host, Anthony Dayton, Data Products General Manager at Tamer. Welcome to another exciting episode of Data Masters. Today's guest is Misha Advina, Head of Analytics at Miro. Miro is a dynamic online platform that empowers teams of all types to unleash their creativity and drive innovation through visual collaboration. With an impressive track record, Misha brings a wealth of experience to the table. Prior to joining Miro in 2019, he served as the head of analytics and strategic finance at Segment, the CDP, and played a pivotal role as the director of product analytics at Xtime, and demonstrated his strategic acumen as the head of strategy and planning at Inchcape. It's great to have you here today, Misha. Great to be here. So maybe we can start a little bit with just some background on Miro. I think many people are familiar with Miro. Probably many people are users of Miro as uh, we are uh, here at Tamer, and I am personally. But maybe talk a little bit about the Miro solution. And then I think people might be slightly surprised to know that Miro has a head of analytics and that they Miro thinks about analytics and data. And so maybe talk a little bit about how the organization views analytics and data as part of its solution. So Mira have heard about us. You probably know what it is. It's online whiteboard collaborative solution. Our goal is to unleash potential and like make collaboration easier and help people to generate, share, discuss ideas in a way that's natural because again like all like we have a lot of tools but previous generation of tools was kind of limiting people like documents or spreadsheets and Essentially, Mira is this like infinite canvas, which can be used for putting different type of visualization data insights in a way that works for people and it's collaborative. So people can do it together. Analytics, I feel extremely lucky to be part of analytics at Mira because if you think about it, like, like what analytics is doing, right? Like it takes data and try to make sense of it and it tries to make business impact using it. And like, there are two factors there. Like, first, you need to have a data that's meaningful. And second, you need to have people who are willing to listen and engage with you and take your insights and try them in practice. And on these two dimensions, we are extremely lucky because if you think about our product, essentially, we know everything that our users is doing. So all value creation, all things that people are doing in a the product, they're absorbable. So we have ton of data about what people do, how they do it, and we have data that is, has potential to, to un unleash next-level insights. On our stakeholder side, it's the most data-driven team that I have seen in my life. It's both blessing and the course blessing because people really want our input. People really want to make decisions partially based on, based on data and on data insights. It also means that they're extremely demanding. So People listen to us, but also so many questions that they want answered. Yeah, so I think that's fascinating in a sense, the product that you are, the Miro's building, being a virtual whiteboard sort of disrupts the whiteboard market in the sense that whiteboards that we might have in our 
traditional offices with those pens that never seem to have ink. You know, nobody has any idea how people use them. But in your case with Miro, people, you and the Miro team have just an incredible volume of data about how people use whiteboards and how they collaborate on them, et cetera. And so I'd love you to share a practical example of how data and analytics, how the analysis of that data changed the way Miro thought about how people use whiteboards or had an impact on the product direction. So that's what we, we try to do every day. There are a lot of examples. I'll start from simple examples and feel free to, uh, to add more questions. So like basic question, like, like we have a huge product team, we have a huge engineering team. Which feature do we prioritize, right? And uh, I'm not claiming we have an answer to that, but like we are trying to support the process. And like first step is always, okay, like there is a feature. Can we measure whether people are using it? Yes or no. And like that's already by itself is not trivial. You need to track events in a way that allows you to calculate, calculate usage. You need to be very clear about what usage means. How you like what kind of data needed for that foundation? Just like telling our product people which feature is used, which is not used, and starting it as a baseline. Next step is okay, people are using feature, but does it really create value? And that's tricky, right? Like because like how do you know? Like there is no way of knowing. Our way of looking at it is like we have our like north star metrics. Like we have like different level of usage. We have like monthly active, weekly active, engaged. Like there are so many, like there are a lot of metrics of engaged usage. And then our attempt is to say, okay, now like feature A was launched, does it really result in better usage in general? And again, like relation causation is always a problem, but our goal, again, like start from understanding, do people use feature, yes or no? And if they use, does it have impact on general usage of a product by users and by companies? Is there an example of a feature that either had unexpectedly positive impact on uh, usage and engagement, or maybe even more interestingly, unexpectedly poor, something that the team intuitively thought might be really successful, but in fact was not? So it happens all the time. Usually it's later because people in product, they are optimists by nature and they just like optimistic about how amazing feature A is going to be. And rarely happens that uh, things become way more successful than they should be or that projected to be. And in real life, it's not yes or no answer because in real life you do something and then you look like what worked well, what didn't, and then you iterate and you try to understand what went wrong. And like only after a few iterations, like you are in position to decide whether it's truly working or not. One in my, during my life at Mira, there was one moment when things just grew like faster than anybody could have ever imagined. I know they want to guess what was driving that. I'll tell you a graph, like usage graph, like it was like this, it was like growing kind of 10, 20 percent, and like water, and then it double in a week and then it doubled again. Do you know when it happened? I can guess the moment at which everybody is forced to work from home, that they can't gather around the proverbial whiteboard. I'm confident at a significant... I was going to ask you about the pandemic, but I thought maybe just... It was March 2020. Yeah, you're absolutely correct. So like we have this like joke, internal joke that like, like apart from another pandemic, like is there anything else we can do? And so yes, the conspiracy theories that Miro caused the pandemic, I'm sure, are rampant. 
So I was going to ask in the context of the pandemic, you know, so tracking features and understanding how people use the product during normal times is one thing. And then you get put into a situation where the pandemic drives significant usage. But I also wondered coming into this, whether the pandemic had unexpected, other than simply driving additional usage of the product, whether other features or capabilities, it, it changed the strategic direction of the company. Again, other than the obvious, you just needed way more capacity to support way more users in the product. But did it change the way people collaborated virtually? Well, of course, the answer is yes, because if you like, if you look at the way people collaborate, you have synchronous asynchronous mode and synchronous essentially people doing things at the same time, asynchronous, like you build a board and then somebody else review it in some different time. Once pandemic happened, because now people are working from home, asynchronous uh, collaboration uh, increased. So what I hear you saying is that after the pandemic, asynchronous collaboration became a bigger part of the usage of the platform versus synchronous. As I think about it, might be counterintuitive. Logic being when more people are stuck at home and can the only mechanism of in, engaging and interacting is virtually, the idea that be more synchronous virtual whiteboard use as a proportion of total usage might be what I would have guessed. But you're telling me it's actually the opposite. Yeah, like it's like these questions are complex and difficult to answer because like when what's happening in GLife is that you have usage patterns, which is one dimension, and then you have composition of your customer base. And in real life, things are happening at the same time. So usage pattern are changing, but mix of customers is changing as well. So kind of great example, like like depth of usage, like what percent of people are using things like once a month versus weekly. Like we really hope and we really try to drive more in-depth usage for customers whom we have. But at the same time, when you are growing, you have share of new users who by definition will use product in a lighter way, at least in the beginning is growing. So it's, yeah, it's like things are shifting and changing at the same time. And kind of we want our goal is to be solution of choice. Like we really want to people to use our product as much as possible. But also what it means, it means that if you have one person in an organization who start using Mira for a lot of rituals, now you start having others people who are, you know, to whom this presentation got sent, or people who are attending meetings that are facilitating using the board. So you have one person who is using product in way more deep way, but like this person through virality adds new users who may be, at least in the first stages, just like viewers and interact with product very lightly. Yeah, interesting. And again, in the context of pandemic, where you're seeing explosive growth, the proportion of light new users is probably much higher because you're just simply adding more users every month. So we've talked a little bit about the role that analytics plays within Miro. Maybe you could share, and you, you have a long history of building analytics teams and helping to support decision makers within an organization. I suspect many listeners are in a very similar role. And there seems to be this perpetual debate within the community about how to organize analytics teams whether they should own and control the data layer, whether that should be separated, whether they should be part of IT, whether they should be separated from IT, whether they should be in, you know, with decision makers, whether they should be a central team that's outside of decision makers. Maybe share a little bit about 
what you've seen work well at Miro, and to the extent that's changed, I'd love to hear a little bit about how it's changed. It's a great question. I don't think there is like one answer fit all. It really depends on stage of a company, and I've observed these things to be changing over time. So, like one example, now a lot of organizations have like the whole role called analytics engineering. I think when I started in analytics years ago, this role didn't even exist. Like sometimes you have data engineers, but analytics engineering is this kind of pretty new concept that found a lot of success because like, people found that those people needed. Talking about our organizational structure, so we have data stream which combines data engineers analytics engineers, and their role is to figure out what are data sources and then get data from data sources and then build data models. And then once data models are in place, now it's when analytics come in and try to leverage those data models to report on the set of metrics that we have and take those insights. And our goal is, our mission is like drive better decisions using data. Our data stream team is central. Our analytics team is centrally embedded. And central means that we are one big team. Uh, we are all under one roof. Uh, embedded means that it teams consist of functional teams focused on supporting their set of stakeholders. So we have marketing analytics, we have product analytics, we have sales analytics, we have finance analytics. And it's a balance. It's a balancing act, right? Because for an analyst to be successful, Analysts need to be extremely close to their stakeholders. They need to understand, like, what are, like, what this team tries to accomplish, what are their challenges, and then use metric, metric analysis insights, data insights to, to be a good partner and to find a way to help them. And how to do it is extremely stakeholder specific. At the same time, you want to have some consistent way of doing things, right? Like, how do we define metrics? How do we build dashboards? How do you build data models? When you build a data model for your stakeholder, how do you make sure that people in another team can use it as well? So you need this central component that provides guidance and that provides some kind of you know, strategy, vision, operational cadence that aligns the way we do things and that allows people to learn from each other and to collaborate and not create silence because, again, Silence is just like the one thing that everybody wants to avoid. You don't want to have two reports that report on the same thing and have different numbers. It's just like recipe for disaster. So this is how we organize it today. Common kind of wisdom is that with size, kind of usually people start from central central team. Like when you have one analyst, by definition, this analyst like everything. So like on smaller companies, usually it's one central team. Then when you get bigger, you start creating some teams and like. When you grow further, like, the need for functional expertise becomes more and more, and teams tend to become heavier on functional side of things and lighter on central. In my head, it kind of, again, it really depends on organization, on kind of business decisions need support. It also depends on people, because at the end of the day, kind of, right, like, like you want managers to be strong and to be able to support their analysts, but you have only one, like, if you have two people in marketing analytics, it's impossible to have one person to be a strong manager because strong managers want to manage bigger teams. So it's, it's always balancing acts between what is needed for the business and based on the size, what structure can get you a good result in the most efficient way. That makes a lot of sense. And I appreciate you, you started with this idea that there's not one way. But let me force you to take a stand. If there are many good ways of organizing an analytics team, what are some really bad decisions that either you've seen or have forbid that you've made? What are some 
common mistakes you see in organizing data teams that listeners should avoid, like learn from uh, prior mistakes? A lot of mistakes were made in my life, so, so that's definitely true. So concepts of silos, like my one, talking about my it's like overweighting functional component and not investing enough in central component is one way to get into trouble. And like potential problem I definitely faced is that if you have super strong functional teams, but not enough efforts into building central kind of foundation, you start creating silos, you start seeing different numbers, you start seeing two teams working on the same thing or nobody working on something that's in the middle. If you are too central, also mistake that was done a few years ago. If you are too central, your analysts become too far from real stakeholders and they become like they start perceiving their work as building a dashboard as opposed to driving business decisions, which is very wrong mindset and it's just not helpful. But like when you are central, when you are not part of a team, when you are not attending their meetings, when you are not having clients with them, it's just like so easy to become isolated. So both things have pros and cons and finding right balance is super important. The relationship between data team and analytics, again, like extremely tough one, right? Because you want teams to be as aligned as humanly possible because we all know data people more technical. They love building technically sophisticated solutions. Analytics are more business focused. They want something that may be not as technically sophisticated, but like way faster and way more flexible so they can kind of accommodate their side stakeholders. So you want teams to be as close as possible so that roadmaps are aligned. At the same time, data team need to be more technically sophisticated. So they need to be closer to engineering because they have a lot of data generated in our production system. So it's difficult, it's a challenge. A hundred percent agree with what you just said, but I would add to it that another challenge and distinction between business stakeholders, analytics teams, and data teams centers around the accuracy and reliability of the underlying data. So the common question is, how do I bring in another source? How do I, this data is incorrect, like clearly wrong. You know, this data is missing. These sorts of questions flow, if you will, from business stakeholders through analytics teams, maybe down to data teams, if there's actually an underlying data problem. How does your team think about ensuring the accuracy and reliability of data? How do you think about managing that data and decision-making process, in a sense, like a product? And think about getting feedback and then improving. And by the way, it's not just about the data. It could also be around a metric. You might say, we've been calculating, you know, we want to move from weekly active users to daily active users, or we want to change the definition of a week or these sorts of questions. Or, you know, so how do you think about that feedback process and that management process? So I think there are two questions there, and they're different. Like, and we really need to look at them separately. First one about quality of data sources. And like, my favorite saying is that if you talk to data person and he or she tells you that there are data quality is 100%, like, that's a liar. Don't trust that person. That never, I never have this in my life. I don't think it's possible. And the reason it's impossible is that if you think about, like, people who generate data and people who use data, like, those people are very different. And people who generate data, usually data is, like, one of outcomes of work that they do. So, like, uh, example, uh, data from Salesforce, right? It's entered by salespeople. Salespeople are hired not because they have amazing skills in recording everything. They're hired because they're good salespeople. 
they have to enter data. So like there need to be a process to make sure that data that they entered is not horrible, will never be 100% correct by itself unless there is very sophisticated process of control and of making sure that they do what they want to do. Similarly, like product, right? Like like events, we need to implement events. But like when product people are building features, defining events and for engineers implementing events, it's like, I know, like at the end of very long list of things to do and it will never naturally get prioritized. And it doesn't have to be prioritized because if quality of data tracking is priority number one for your product people, it means that they are not thinking about customers, which they should be doing. So kind of it's a finding a balance between getting data that you really need and not kind of killing everybody else around you in the process. And it's impossible to solve problem. We definitely have it. Like we are like it's, I think this thing goes in circles. Like you do something, like it gets good enough, you start using it, and then like, oh my God, no, actually for what I needed it's like really bad. Let's go do it all over again. And you go all over again. The thing that makes this process extremely difficult, like that's my current opinion, I don't know maybe it will change, is that like to make to make right decisions. You really need to connect what business stakeholders need from your insights all the way down to what does it mean for metric, what does it mean for data model, what does it mean for data source, what does it mean for sources of data we want to track. And it's like essentially everybody in an organization is involved. So it's like five teams involved in that. And you need essentially, like you mentioned data as a product. If you treat data as a product, you need to have product managers who can put this all together because like at the end of the day, it will always will be about compromises. Like you will never get all the data because otherwise it's too expensive, too lengthy, like takes too much time. So you want to get data that you need while not getting data that you don't, but you don't know which data you need in the beginning because it will be iteration. And like creating this end-to-end alignment between teams is super difficult. And it's skill set that nobody has, right? It's not an analytics skill set. It's not data skill set. It's like project management slash project management. And like those people are first extremely rare. Second, if somebody can do it that well, that person usually goes product. So yeah, it's in real life, whether you hire somebody or you just like take somebody who spikes on this skill set and ask that person to do it. And that can be extremely impactful, but those projects are very painful. Involved coordinating a lot of people is difficult. I think the point you're making there is uh, really insightful. This idea that at its core, the challenge of managing the connection between business stakeholders all the way back to, you know, data and, you know, people who are engineers that are building product and generating this data or salespeople that are entering it to your point. Ultimately, that flow feels a lot like the flow for building a product, building a product feature. And the other important point there is there's no such thing as perfect. So while we might think that data is this pristine thing that, you know, beautiful and perfect, the reality is it suffers from the same trade-offs that, you know, any product feature or any capability in a software product suffers from. And so the same techniques associated with managing them can be very effective. Would you agree? Yeah, absolutely. And like, like one way to describe it is that like we hire people into analytics frequently based on their technical skills. Like you need to write SQL, you need to know DBT, you need to be able to write and you know, like LookML things. But like when we ask the question, like what truly makes a difference, usually it's product management mindset. 
but like we hire people for X and then we ask them to do Y and then we get surprised that things don't go as planned. I think you described it super well. Like if you think about analytics, essentially it need like it's it's proper EPD organization. You need to have product people who will connect the dots. You need to have engineering people. It's like our data engineers, and then you need to have I don't know how to call it people who build solutions that can be consumed. So it's essentially you need people who can do it all, who are technical enough, who can kind of write code, who can build beautiful visualizations, who truly understand the stakeholders, who can take insights and present it in a way that your non-technical stakeholder can understand. And you need people who can think that like, like, okay, we have a data. This is a result. It's never conclusive. It's never black and white. It's like, it's kind of like this way, but they need to be able to like have point of view and have a way to combine data that we have with context that stakeholders have and then connect the dots and like make sure that decision that people end up making. It's not necessarily correct one, but like it's more likely to be correct than not. So I'm going to challenge you to cast your eye forward a little bit, predict the future, which as a data person, analytics person, you should be always very wary of doing. But I'm curious, and you make a really important point here, which is the perfect person on an analytics team is odd combination of technical, business-oriented, product-oriented, etc. But cast your eye forward a little bit in thinking in the context of how data and analytics is changing. What's your prediction for the future of analytics. You know, what should we expect? And in that way, I think, what should listeners be thinking about planning for in the future? My best guess is that we'll see way more product managers, kind of people being extremely successful in analytics, and the role of technical expertise will go down. And the reason for that is that technical things you can buy, you can outsource, you can buy, I know, like Snowflake, right? Like when I started analytics, it was Oracle. Like we had like database people who were building databases, like not anymore, right? Like you have solutions that manage solutions that work pretty well. And technical problems, like you have a bunch of APIs, you have a bunch of vendors who, are, who have solved them because like they're similar and people tend to use same systems. So just like all this technical complexity of orchestrating data, I think it will get more like you can buy this, but it's your like your business is unique. Kind of business challenges your company has today is extremely unique. This one you cannot buy from your vendor. You need people who will be able to understand what those challenges are and will be able to use data that and tools that we have to be able to solve this. And this is more product mind manager slash consult slash, I don't know, how to call it mindset versus somebody who is extremely great. And I think that's a great insight in that the general trend you're illuminating is this idea that technology gets out of the way, that the role becomes less technical, less about coding, less about the infrastructure, less about the mechanics of it, and more oriented towards these uh, product management skills of being able to align the kind of work we're doing analytically to decision makers, business people. And at its extreme, and let me push here for a second, could you imagine a scenario where the decision maker themselves, you know, is ultimately is just asking and answering questions of the data, and all the technology behind that is essentially automated? Or is that too far? You can abstract away building blocks somebody needs to decide which building blocks you need. So kind of 
like in ideal world that you are describing where it's like it's fully self-service, like first, like somebody still needs to design underlying foundation. And so that's like role number one that probably is here to stay for at least some time. And it's like actually super complex. But second thing, like the way we can create value is like it goes back to my comment that like answers you get from data are never white, black and white. It's never like go that way. It's always it kind of go this way, but like in last month it was differently and it's not particularly significant. And by the way, like it's super volatile. And like you need somebody who can interpret data in a way that's actionable while still keeping like intellectual honesty and intellectual rigor of because otherwise like if you don't have point of view if you are not ending your analysis with suggestion okay and it means you need to do a it will not be impactful but if you are not rigorous enough then like you are just not capturing value of data then it becomes just an opinion of person who like we all have opinions so kind of there is a value from kind of being knowledgeable enough about what data means how it gets collected like what it truly says and being able to bridge all this data variability and noise to get to the right signal. Great. So Misha, it's been a pleasure. Thanks so much for joining us on the podcast. Really appreciate the insights you've shared and wish you the best at Miro and looking forward to jumping on a virtual whiteboard with some colleagues probably in my next meeting. Thanks so much. It was great talking to you. Data Masters is brought to you by Tamer the leader in data products. Visit Tamer.com to learn how Tamer helps data teams quickly improve the quality and accuracy of their customer and company data. Be sure to click subscribe so you don't miss any future episodes. On behalf of the team here at Tamer, thanks for listening.